0: I don't know how many of you know Ajahn Sumedho, a wonderful Buddhist monk from America, born in, I think, Seattle, and then after spending a decade or so practicing with Ajahn Chah in Thailand, became the abbot of a monastery in England, spent most of the later part of his life being the abbot of Amaravati in England, a pretty substantial Buddhist monastery. Sort of retired, even though I'm still a monk and getting closer to 80. And uh, yeah, just an important teacher of mine, even though I've only sort of had direct contact a few times, but just through his teachings and writings and talks, quite influential. And um, here's a simple statement that's just so obvious we're not looking for something somewhere it opening to the way it is here and now. And that just sums up the shift. Because mostly, you know, even the sense of me as a spiritual seeker, it's mostly me then looking for something somewhere. You know, me who's finally got his act together, or, um, you know, me or the world that's finally got its act together. Isn't that how we normally conceive of things? Like when we do have a more honest sense of the limitations of our life, the limitations of our world, then generally what we do about that is we think about becoming something somewhere other than this that's broken. right? And we imagine it and then we cling to it. Like, if only that, if only I become that, the world becomes that, the situation becomes that, if only my mind will settle down, then I'll be happy. Or if I only overcome these addictive patterns, then I'll be happy. If I only get into shape so I'm not winded when I walk up the hill... (laughs) then, you know, things would be just right. And if we're paying attention, if we have some mindfulness, then we see this many, many times today, right? Did you see some version, your own particular version of the if-only? If only I understood what the Buddha was talking about. If only I had started my practice earlier. You know, if only I had gotten my act together and sat every day prior to this retreat, then it wouldn't be so difficult. But instead of any of those if-onlys, it's simply about opening to the way it is here and now. So even if what this body and mind is manifesting is hopelessness or you know, self-hatred or I give up or this isn't my cup of tea. This seems stupid. I mean, it doesn't matter. This is the greatest thing in the world, but I'm not up to it. That's what we're opening to. We're just acknowledging this is what the mind is knowing. This is what Is being felt. It's like this now. And the nice thing about how straightforward the practice is, it has that ring of truth to it. Like there's no, there's no dishonesty in the practice. Yeah. It is like this right now. So what is, and you know, it's, it's, an, it's a real question. It's an open question. What is the helpful way to be relating when it is like this internally in terms of the mental activity, the emotional qualities, externally, you know, in all ways, when it is like this, what is the skillful, healing way to be relating? with disconnection, being in conflict in some way with what's the way it is. And this we can check out directly for ourselves. You don't need me to tell you or the Buddha to tell you. Because when we relate to the present moment in ways that are stressful, then... (laughs) Where is that stress being experienced? Right here. We can know, oh yeah, when the mind is relating to the present moment in this way, it feels like this. Cause and effect. Good to know. And then when we're relating to whatever it is that's happening in another way, and the effect is the absence of that stress, then we can notice that. Oh, okay. No Nothing extra, no extra stress. It's kind of, in some ways, a little counterintuitive, but it's it's really an important um, thing to get from the way the Buddha taught. This is from the Tata Sutta, the discourse. Sutta means discourse. It's actually from the, you know, Indo-European word. It's related to the Indo-European word, uh, Sutra, like the thread that they sew you up with. So the suttas or the sutras, you know, there's a thread, the thread of the teachings, because that all the teachings, if they're real teachings, from the Buddha or from anybody with wisdom, they're all about the way it is. You know, different ways of using concept language words to point the mind to the way it is here and now. So, and the word tata is like, it's related to suchness, thusness, the way it isness, the actuality. So it's that discourse. On the way it is. (laughs) Practitioners, these four things are real, not unreal, not otherwise. Which four? Interested? (laughs) The four things that are real? This is stress, right? This is dukkha. This is unsatisfactory. This is heavy. This is burdensome. Right? So how many times today were there, was there a moment where there was that ringing clarity. Oh yeah, this is heavy right now. I don't know much, but I know right now the experience that's being known is the experience of heaviness or stress or something seems to be burdened right now. Right? Anybody have that experience today? Right. And so when that experience arises, then the practice is to notice this is being known. There is stress. And it doesn't matter if someone comes by and says, you know, you're such a privileged individual, you know, how could you be stressed out? It's like, yeah, that may be true too. Maybe that's my own, its own burden. But right now, whether or not, doesn't matter because this is a ringingly clear truth. This heart is burdened right now. And, and we know that in our own experience, so there can be real confidence. And if we don't, Quiver, if we stay interested, oh yeah, there's stress. The heart feels burdened. It's like this. And we stay interested and we cultivate that stability of present moment awareness with the way it is. Then what will arise is that the stress is a conditional arising. Like it just didn't drop from outer space. There's supporting causes and conditions for it presenting itself in our subjective experience. And the thing about the conditional nature of phenomena, any phenomena, as soon as the supporting conditions aren't there, then that experience isn't there. You know, it's like a light switch, it depends on the circuit you know, being connected. And as soon as you do the light switch and disconnect the circuit, then the light immediately goes off. So that's the next insight. That's the real gift or um, insight benefit of not the most intense kind of suffering, but just the ordinary... Ways that we feel burdened, we feel stressed, we find experience difficult. could be our own internal experience we find difficult or some external thing, some fly is bothering you, whatever it might be. And then we persist in the awareness and we see that the sense of a me being burdened by this experience or by these conditions, that it it has a cause, and that cause, the supporting cause, the proximal cause, is here and now, right now, which gets the mind's interest because then it becomes a question of how is the supporting <coughs> cause abandoned, right? Because as soon as the supports aren't there the heart being burdened isn't there and as long as the supporting causes are there whatever they might be then the heart there is the appearance of me being burdened so if you so those of you who've studied the teachings might recognize this as the four noble truths and these are insights it's not something to believe in I mean, like I'm trying to convey, you know, hundreds of times today there could have been and probably was to some degree these very clear moments. Oh yeah, there is the sense of me being burdened right now, dukkha. This is what the Buddha means by dukkha. The sense of a somebody being burdened, being entangled, being stressed, right? Oh, interesting. Now that's the key to be interested in that. Because it is interesting. Like, is there anything that can be done? Right? We should be interested in it. Not, uh, I mean, by now we should have learned that hating the fact that I feel burden isn't the cause for the burden to go away. <laughs> right? It's just another burden. First there is the thing that's, is apparently causing me stress. And then there's the, Hating the fact that I feel stressed. And those are both burdens, both heavy. So we see, oh yeah, there is this stress. And then we see, oh, it's a conditional phenomenon. It is here because of supporting causes and conditions. And there's this strong sense that with the abandoning of those supports comes the cessation of the stress. Stress and we misuse that confidence we think okay then i'm just going to i'm just going to abandon this thing right and it doesn't work and we get frustrated and eventually some humility gets beaten into us where we're just observing that there is the dukkha and that it is conditional and that the supporting causes should be abandoned like those are what the heart knows clearly not how to abandon it there are three really wonderful similes. And the one I want to mention now is that, that the Buddha used is about a hen, where he said that... Uh, and, and think about this simile in terms of how is it that the mind, the heart, abandons the cause of the stress that we're feeling, that we're experiencing. How is it that that happens? And the simile goes like this. There's a hen. It's pretty indifferent to the eggs that it laid, but for whatever reason, it sits on the eggs appropriately, incubates them appropriately, and those eggs hatch, and chicks are born, and everything's fine and dandy. And uh, and then the, the next scenario is, there's another hen, it lays some eggs, it really, really, really wants those eggs to hatch, but it doesn't properly sit on the eggs. And those eggs don't hatch. And the Buddha uses that simile to help us understand something about the practice. Like in terms of the letting go of the cause of stress, really, really, really wanting to let go of the cause of stress isn't the cause for stress ceasing. Really, really, really not wanting to suffer really, really, really wanting to be a different kind of human being, really, really, really wanting a calm, peaceful mind, isn't the cause for a peaceful mind to arise. But it is lawful. Like when the mind relates appropriately, then because of the absence of the supports for the stress, Stress ceases, and the mind experiences the mind free of stress, naturally. So we're sitting there, we know my mind's entangled. I have enough stability of present moment awareness to sense that this entanglement that I'm experiencing is a natural process. It's lawful. And it's built upon supporting causes. So we're we're sitting there, observing the present moment. But now we have this thread of wisdom that knows, like, what is it that's here but hasn't been clearly acknowledged? And in the seeing of it, something ceases that leads to the dropping away of the suffering, the stress of being burdened. And it's that that identification. You know, we kind of know intellectually the answer, like it's the attachment. But attachment doesn't go away because we don't want to be attached. Have you ever done that? Like you noticed in somewhere in your life you're really attached, really identified to something. Something really hurts, you know, Somebody didn't treat you the way you wanted to be treated, and it really hurts, and you really don't want to care about it. You know, I don't I shouldn't be so attached, with what that person thinks. But we can't personally get rid of the attachment, right? Even though it makes we know we shouldn't be attached, that, that could be really clear. But we just can't shut it off. But what allows attachment to cease. And just think of what you're experiencing, because you might have some insight. This is something, in one way or another, we've all been studying this place because it's a place of so much suffering. What, when we do notice that the mind is identified, attached, grasping, clinging to something, what is it that allows that clinging, that grasping, that attachment That identification to naturally cease to exist. It's the seeing that that attachment is impersonal and is the cause for the suffering. It's like when we're really observing that we're holding a hot, hot pan and we feel, and, and the mind you know, the brilliant mind makes the connection, holding this pan is burning my hand. Then letting go happens. You know, we might think that I decided to let go of the pan, but it's that soon as there's the connection, it's a natural process, soon as there's a connection between the searing pain and the grip of the pan, letting go will happen. You know, that's a gross example, but that, Basically, it's the same formula. So when we're aware that there's suffering and we're aware that the suffering is conditional, and this is for us to check out tonight and all day tomorrow and for the rest of our lives, oh, there's suffering. Then we should be respectful. Good, because there's something to learn about suffering. I don't have perfect faith in what the Buddha says, right? Because the Buddha says, this version of mental suffering is optional. Pain comes with life, right? He's not saying there's no pain in life. But the not liking of pain and the resisting of pain and the mental suffering, the sense of betrayal and the all the different ways the mind reacts to ordinary embodied existence that's so painful, that's optional. And what we have to see clearly is, oh, there's attachment. Attachment, when there's attachment, there's this squeeze, there's this tightness, the stress. With the ending of attachment, there is this release. And so then the second noble truth, the, the three insights that Buddha breaks down, there is a cause for this stress in the heart the cause should be abandoned. That's not the same as I'm going to get in there and make it go away. It just means we're noticing the attachment <clears throat> is correlated with the squeeze, the stress. Right? And that's that's basically being aware that the searing pain in my hand is connected to the grasping of the hot pan. Oh yeah, I got it. When there's this grasping of the hot pan, there's a searing pain in the hand. With the releasing of the pan, the releasing of the grip, that pain goes away, assuming that the burn didn't go so bad. right? So it's the same thing. And then we'll have that moment of saying, oh, there is a cause. The cause is this attachment, this attachment to the desire. This identification with the desire to hold, to grip, to identify. And then there's an end. There's a cessation of that cause and the cessation of the stress. Now probably some of you had moments with some clarity of being bound up to some degree about whatever. Being somewhat persistent, just holding it with awareness, non-judgment. Balanced, somewhat relaxed. And then the recognition that being burdened is not there anymore. that has ceased. Right? I mean, clearly, right, we've been burdened many, many ways today. Where is all that stress and burdensomeness now? It ceased, right? I mean, a lot of it, maybe some of it's still there. But we rarely are aware in that moment of cessation. And we really want to get interested in that moment because it builds a lot of confidence in the path. When we see there is dukkha, there's a cause, the cause should be abandoned, the cause has been abandoned, there is release. This release should be fully realized, it has been fully realized, there's a path, The path should be developed. The path has been developed. This is how the Buddha talks about the insights. And in a way, in a way that's more profound than it sounds, the Buddha says things like, that's all there is in life. There's dukkha, the cause of dukkha, and the cessation of dukkha. And the experience of that cessation, like the heart or the mind, unburdened. So, you know, it's a a real shift in how we often think about spiritual practice as getting to like a heaven, getting to a really nice place. You know, for me, it's that like perfect cabin on Lake Superior. But we have something we want to become, somewhere we want to be, to get to, where everything's hunky-dory, you know, and there's... No problems. But what we what the Buddha says that needs to happen is the natural shedding or abandoning of the causes for the burden of the heart. Then we don't need a different world. Then we can engage our world, our lives, this messy world one hundred percent. Because We're not trying to get to a special place. We already feel free and released. Even though our body may be aging or our terrible things may be happening, there's a way to be a human being in our ordinary messy world without being burdened. I mean, this is what the teachings point to. And this is what our own experience tells us. We have these moments, like haven't you had sits, those of you who have been practicing for a while, where well, it just was hellish, you know, the, at some point, just like, I'm never going to sit again, <laughs> kind of, like if it's like this. And then it's like 10 minutes later, it's like, I'm just so grateful for meditation practice. But we're, we don't, we're, we're not sincere enough about connecting the dots. Like to really see that, that experience that seems so real and personal to me was not as substantial as it appeared to be. Where is it now? Where is all those moments of those dark, heavy moments now? I mean, some of you may be in a difficult place right now, right? So it's not then you can ask where were those wonderful moments? (laughs) Right? Because things keep changing. And the reason we want to keep that in mind is it really affects the habit of attachment, identification and clinging. What really allows the heart to abandon attachment and clinging is seeing that it is synonymous with dukkha, with suffering. It's kind of the fierce teacher that we all need. We have to see that whenever there's attachment, there's suffering. And for us, the more useful way to work with this is whenever there's suffering, mental, physical suffering, then ask, how is the mind attached? What is the mind attached to? Where's the identification? Cuz it's something here and now. It shouldn't be this way. It's not fair. I'm trying really hard and I still really hurt. Now again, it doesn't mean that the physical pain is going to go away, but the mental resistance to physical pain is always optional. The construction of a me who hates this is always optional. And we have to have some humility. What is physical pain when we haven't constructed a me who hates it? It's still physical pain, but it's not what we might imagine. We have to explore this for ourselves. It's easy to dismiss awareness because it has it's such a soft power. It's like uh, the Tao Te Ching has uh, that, that passage about the softest thing overcomes the hardest thing. Do people know this from the Taoist tradition in China? Right? It's like the water that carved the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's pretty impressive. But water isn't like a chisel. It's a pretty soft thing. But given the right conditions and time, pretty impressive things can happen. And it's like the same thing, this receptive or open... Continuous, non judging, kind presence with no agenda except to connect, to understand, or to connect in a way that supports understanding. That's all its agenda. Just connect. It changes everything. It really does. But we have to trust it enough to persist. That's the problem. That's what makes it so hard. Because there's all kinds of reasons to doubt it because it doesn't seem that substantial. Hate, like hating our pain, it seems like at least I'm engaged. <laughs> you know, I'm not acting out my helplessness, I'm really in there hating it. But wisdom. This is from my uh, one of my teachers, Sayadaw Tejaniya, the person I've been mentioning a couple of times today. He has this great line. He says, real wisdom only cares about cause and effect. Only is interested in causes. So like when we're suffering, wisdom just wants to know how did this come to be so, I, so it can know how it can cease. It's totally pragmatic. In what way is the mind involved in the dukkha, in the suffering or stress that's being experienced. How is this mind involved right now? Is it involved right now? So there's a... And we just presume we're not seeing everything. So there's that patient, steady, humble, curious sensitivity, right? That present moment awareness. So that whatever's here, not being felt and seen can slowly, gradually be felt and seen clearly. Oh, oh, it's like this. This is how it is. So I'll just end with this sutta that I started but didn't finish. Practitioners, these four things are real, not unreal, not otherwise. Which four? This is stress, is real, not unreal, not otherwise. This is the origin of stress. This is real, not unreal, not otherwise. This is the cessation of stress. This is real, not unreal, not otherwise. And this is the path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. This is real, not unreal, not otherwise. These are the four things that are real, not unreal, not otherwise. Right. So this is, in Buddhism, this is considered wise view. When we check our attitude and we notice a lot of the time... Not such a skillful attitude Well, begs the question, well, what would a skillful attitude be? It means that the mind that is intimate, observing, present with phenomena, experience, It is. it has this very particular lens. This is stress. These are the causes for that stress. There is cessation. There is a path that supports that cessation of stress. It's just that in Buddhism we call that being interested in the conditional <coughs> nature so that we know how it is that things come to be, like peace or like stress, and how it is that these things cease to be. Now imagine if that's all we did all day long. Even as we take care of our responsibilities, raise the kids, do our jobs, feed ourselves, <coughs> use the toilet... But what we were really doing is observing. Ah, this is stress. This is how that stress has come to be, is being maintained. This is the cessation of the stress. This is the path. This is the way to relate that supports not just the cessation of this stress, or you know the stress that's around right now, but even the latent tendencies to get bound up. Right. That's really what the path is about: is uprooting. The tendency tendencies towards greed, hatred, and delusion. That's the lens we want to live our life. So when we see our kids or see our friends or see our dog or cat, we're seeing it with that lens. Oh, this cat is agitated. This is the cause. They want their dinner. You know, they're attached to the routine of getting their dinner at this time. Or whatever, you know, it might be. You know. There's no cessation. <laughs> right? Because they're stuck. They're kind of they haven't realized. But we can realize like, well, when your dinner's there you can eat it. When it's not there, there's no reason to be agitated. Because being agitated that your dinner isn't there isn't the cause for your dinner being there. Unless you have a <laughs> live with a person, you know, then you're in real trouble because the dinner's gonna get earlier and earlier. <laughs> Right? Because the cat will know. Oh yeah, you just agitate the owner (laughs) of of the food and then food shows up. Can
1: I ask a question about
0: that? Yeah, and then we'll end here. Go ahead, Jack.
1: So, I'm trying to parse this out. Recently I bought my niece a gift and she didn't say thank you. And I am stuck. This is a theme with this young woman. And I want to talk to her about it. My wife says drop it, right? We've been around this before. So how, how do I get underneath that? I, I go, so what's, what, am I be, what am I attached to? I have an expectation. There's something in me, pride, it's being hurt.
0: Is it sitting with, are these the causes and conditions? Yeah, But it isn't conceptual, like the hurt and the cause for the hurt is something that's real, as the Buddha says, here and now. There's an actual, the hurt is an actuality here and now, right? That's the title of this discourse, actuality, you know, ta-ta. So, it's real, the hurt, right? So you don't want to deny that it's real. It is real. And the cause for what that, that real hurt is, is right here and now. So we, we use the hurt to, as a kind of uh, anchor, not our interpretation of why I'm hurting. That's actually a diversion. So we're always, whenever we have a story, we're just asking ourselves politely, well, what's, what's the feeling here? What's the hurt? Let me go right there. Because what we want to see in real time is that that hurt, because, you know, the hurt that you're feeling, it has to be, um, in a sense, reignited moment by moment by moment, because there's nothing constant. So, if if it seems like it's hurting moment by moment by moment, then the attaching, the identification is happening over and over and over again. So when we drop into the pain, the ouch of it, then and we stabilize awareness, we help ourselves to feel safe feeling what we're feeling, that sense of whatever it is you feel in that, in that moment. Then we'll see the identification, and we'll see that the identification is optional. right? And then all of a sudden the heart won't be burdened. Because we cannot, the, the, the letting go doesn't happen cognitively. Sometimes it seems that way, but what happens is we get distracted and we, the mind goes somewhere else, and then we're no longer creating the causes for the suffering around that. And we go, boy, that's amazing. But then we pick it up again, and then the hurt is right back there. Because we haven't seen that the hurt is optional. So, there are times this has already happened for us, but we want to renew the insight. Where, cause it, the, the, the insight has to be in the moment where there's the heart's burden, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it doesn't hurt. We have to be there in the moment where it goes from, the heart goes from feeling burdened to feeling unburdened. Cause then it understands, oh, That attachment is just what it is. It's not self. It's just a habit. And superficially, we think the attachment is functional. But only because we have had superficial attention. So we're bringing this more stable sensitivity. And we're seeing that the identification and the attachment, which we superficially think, Is functional necessary to be me? I need attachment, otherwise how could I be me? But it's actually not functional, that's the lie. We think attachment identification like, I wouldn't do anything if I wasn't attached or identified, I'd just be taken advantage of. But has anybody actually checked it out? Like cultivated a way of being of non-attachment, non-identification to see? if you can function properly and skillfully and vibrantly in life, you might be surprised by how competent we can be without attachment and identification. And it doesn't mean, a lot of times we think we become stupid if we're not attached or identified. You know, like, whatever, some blank slate. <laughs> yeah, Because we, it's true that we sort of use our attachment and identification to establish the sense of me. I mean, that's really what the sense of self is. It's the ouch of all of our collective attachments and identifications. So the real truth is we don't know who we'd be without attachment and identification. And the question is, do you want to check it out? At least in moments. And then let your own data take you further down that path. If the results are to your liking, they really feel wholesome and appropriate and allows you to become a better person, well, we're just going to naturally move in that direction. You're also making a
1: distinction, tell me if this is correct, that when you say you investigate the ouch, it's not cognitive. It's not, oh, it feels like this because it means this. Like, ouch, it means I'm being disrespected. That's meaning-making. Versus yeah. just the physiological experience. Yeah, there,
0: and there may be some of that mental activity, but we're not, we're really just there in the immediacy of the moment, like the heart hurts. And it's, you know, it takes some skill, like I've talked in the small groups about, and maybe in the large group too, you know, like sometimes we don't have the stability of awareness to be with the ouch. And sometimes we need to do that orbit or that touch-and-go or just turn away from it altogether, knowing that we'll come back to it. It will probably, if it's a groove in the mind, it's going to reappear when the conditions are right. But right now we need to refresh our confidence in present moment awareness because we're wavering, you know, and we're trying to force it because we want to be done with it. That's not present moment awareness. That's aversion to the pain that we're feeling. We can't have aversion. Aversion distorts intimacy, right? So we, the opening to what is difficult to be with requires some stability, some confidence, some sense of internal safety, like it's good to be opening to this. Dukkha is a respected teacher. It's liberating. It's, the Buddha says it's the not knowing dukkha, not understanding stress, that is the cause for stress. And you know it—it it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because we're arrogantly sure we know what dukkha is, what pain, suffering is. So we never get interested in it, in that more uh, that place of humility, with that place of humility, where we're really curious, interested.